What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. I sound better right now. Um, <laughs> I got a new microphone. I am so sorry about my audio in the last couple of episodes. We figured out that we're pretty sure my microphone was broken. Yeah. And I didn't even realize it until the last episode. And Andrea was like, are you sure your microphone is working? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, she's done all the setting changes and like tried all the things and nothing was changing and it was getting worse. And I was like, something's wrong with that thing. <laughs> yeah so i got a new microphone hopefully this sounds good Yay! um if it sounds bad i'm just gonna cut this part out so you won't even know won't even know um that i that i tried <laughs> but um hopefully it sounds better i'm really hopeful and again sorry for the bad audio quality we are working on a lot of things right now and that is one of them so thanks for hanging in there with us we are always a work in progress <laughs> yes all right, so today we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Kyron Horman. And this is like one of the most requested cases that we've gotten. Yeah. I actually hadn't heard about it until I covered it on TikTok a few months ago because I had gotten a bunch of requests and I cannot believe that I had never heard about this, but yeah, I just hadn't. So um, I noticed a bunch of the cases or a bunch of suggestions coming in for this case. So I decided to kind of dive into it more and cover it on the podcast. So thank you so much to everybody who suggested it. I can't say all of your names because there's a lot, but thank uh -huh. you to everybody who has sent this suggestion in. Yeah. Kyron Richard Horman was born on September 9th, 2002 to Desiree and Kane Horman. Desiree and Kane actually got divorced eight months into Desiree's pregnancy, so before Kyron was born, but they were both still living in Portland, Oregon, and they planned to still raise Kyron together, joint custody. You know, they, they got divorced and definitely wasn't amicable, but it wasn't like super nasty or anything. They were going to yeah. raise Kyron together. Okay. For the first two years of Kyron's life, Desiree and Kane shared custody of him, but in 2004, Desiree was actually diagnosed with kidney failure, and she had to move back in with her parents so that they could take care of her because a kidney failure diagnosis, you have to have a lot of medical attention. Yeah. Um, so as she was getting treatment, she had to move back in with her parents, and she couldn't fully care for Kyron alone. So because of that, Kane took over full custody of Kyron. Okay. But his mom still had a really active role in his upbringing. She was still there. She just couldn't have like, you know, she wasn't able to fully care for him enough to have partial custody. Three years later, Kane Horman married a woman named Terry Moulton. And they had actually met and started a relationship in 2001 when Kane and Desiree were in the beginning stages of their divorce. So they had been together for a while. But in 2007, Kane and Terry got married in Kauai, Hawaii. And then a year after that, their daughter Kiara was born. They also had Kyron living with them full time. So they had their young daughter Kiara and Kyron. And Kyron was attending Skyline Elementary School in Portland, Oregon. On June 4th, 2010, seven-year-old Kyron headed to Skyline Elementary with his stepmom, Terry, for the school's science fair. They got there around 8 a.m. to head over to his exhibit, 
It was a project that he had done on the red-eyed tree frog. At the science fair that day, he was wearing a CSI t-shirt because he was really interested in forensic science and loved the show. So he had a little CSI t-shirt on. And there's actually photos of him at the science fair standing in front of his red-eyed frog um, exhibit that he made. And it's really adorable. So I will will be posting that on um, our Instagram because it's real cute. That's so cute. So the science fair started at 8 before school was to start for that day, and at 8.15 a.m., PTA president Gina Zimmerman arrived at the school, and she later reported that she saw Kyron and his stepmom Terry at his exhibit. Terry left the school at around 8.45 a.m. after watching Kyron rock towards his classroom for the day. Mm. Now, it's a little bit confusing because from everything I could find, it said that class started at 10 but why would the science fair be over before that? I was a right. little bit confused and couldn't find fully clarifying information. But either way, at 9 a.m., one student reported seeing Kyron near the south entrance of the school. And at first, after Kyron disappeared, the investigators reported that that was the last time that Kyron was ever seen. But they later retracted that. So I think that that state that sighting at 9 a.m. is a little iffy. Okay. So then at 10 a.m., class began for the day, and Kyron's homeroom teacher, Christina Porter, reported Kyron absent. She just marked him absent like normal if a kid was absent. And it wouldn't be discovered until later by his parents that he wasn't in school that day. Mm-hmm. After leaving the school, Terry ran errands at two different Fred Meyer grocery stores, And her whereabouts were accounted for until 10.10 a.m. Between then and 11.39, Terry claimed that she was driving around rural roads with Kiara, her young daughter, because apparently Kiara had an ear infection that she was fighting, and Terry said the only way to soothe it was to drive around. So from when she left the school till 10.10, she was seen on, I don't know if it was security cameras or witnesses or what, but her whereabouts were accounted for. Okay. But between 10.10 and 11.39, she says she was driving around, but technically nobody can confirm that. Okay. At 11.39, she checked into her gym, a 24-hour fitness, and that was about 11 miles away from the last grocery store she was at. She stayed at the gym for an hour, arriving home around 12.45 or 1.00. At 1.21 p.m., Terry logged onto Facebook and posted photos of Kyron at the science fair from that morning. And I think she, you know, that was pretty normal. She posted a lot on Facebook. She was at home until 3.30 p.m. when her husband, Kane, who was working from home that day, joined her to walk to Kyron's school bus stop to pick him up. But when he didn't get off the bus, the bus driver told them that he had not boarded the bus and that they should call the school to find out about his whereabouts. When Terry called, she was told by the school secretary that Kyron had not been at school since being seen at the science fair and that he had been marked as absent for the day. The secretary, whose name is Susan Hall, at that point realized Kyron was missing and Terry had had her call 911. So at 3.46 p.m., the secretary made a call to 911 reporting Kyron missing. This began the largest missing persons search in Oregon's history. Wow. 45 minutes after that 911 call came in, the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office and the Portland Police Bureau arrived at the school and Kyron's home. 
By 5.30 p.m. that night, a broadcast was sent to every parent in the Portland public school system that read, Kyron Horman did not arrive at home today. At 7 p.m., a detective with the MCSO, the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, whose name was Sergeant Lee Gossin, alerted the county's on-call coordinator for search and rescue efforts, a guy named Sergeant Travis Goldberg, that an official missing person search for Kyron needed to begin. Around this same time, the sheriff also personally called the FBI to alert them of Kyron's disappearance. Because typically in the U.S. with a missing child like this, the FBI does get involved on the earlier side. The first search teams arrived at Skyline Elementary at 8.09 p.m., where they met with Lieutenant Mary Lindstrand. She also, around that time, began began sending Kyron's photo to local media outlets. When Deputy Mark Heron, who was the search and rescue coordinator, arrived at 8.25 p.m., the searches were organized and began. Just over an hour later, another emergency search group called Mountain Wave arrived at the school arrived at the school to assist in the searches. By 10:40 p.m. that night, the search of the actual elementary school like inside the school in crawl spaces, storage areas, classrooms, outbuildings, the search of the actual school had been done. There was no sign of Kyron. Searches of the Hormans' home also had been done to no avail. At 10.44 p.m., a tipster called 911 suggesting that they search in the train tunnel that was near the school. The caller said, quote, sometimes kids play in there. Want to make sure someone has checked that. And at first, when I first read this, I was like, that's a little bit suspicious, but I think it was genuinely just somebody saying, don't forget to search here. Like, I don't think it was you know, eerie or anything. Like maybe they had seen kids playing down there and they're like, just in case no one else thinks of this, let me call it in. Exactly. Like that's a good Samaritan. Yeah, I think so too. So the searches for Kyron continued through the night and at 5 a.m. the sheriff called the Pacific Northwest Search and Rescue Group to assist in the search. When they arrived, 60 to 70 people were already involved in the search. So this was already getting big. Word of Kyron's disappearance began spreading as the searches continued. At 9.08 a.m. on Saturday, June 5th, the Associated Press received an email with the subject line, Sheriff's Office Continues Search for 7-Year-Old Kyron Horman. Also that morning, a UK-based missing child site called HelpFindMyChild.net created a page for Kyron, and a tip line had been set set up with him with with the Sheriff's Office, you know, like through the sheriff's office yeah the sheriff's office held a press conference at noon that day saying that at that time the search for Kyron was still a missing persons case and not any type of criminal investigation and also on saturday the portland public school district used its rapid broadcast system to alert the staff and parents of any of the skyline elementary students who were at school that friday So they were asking them to come the next day for debriefings and interviews by police and federal agents in case they had heard or seen anything that might be helpful. So they told the parents that the older students were set to arrive at 10 a.m. while the kindergartners and first graders were to arrive with their parents later in the day. At a news conference that evening, authorities also announced that the FBI and National Guard had joined the search for Kyron. 
and crews were continuing to work on an immediate grid search around the school. A Facebook page for Kyron, which is still active today, was created at 10.23 p.m. on June 5th, 2010. At 8.58 the next morning, Sunday, June 6th, Terry posted on Facebook saying that she had ordered missing persons flyers. Her post said, quote, I ordered 1,000 flyers. They will be coming to our house. I will let people know when they are here and we can go from there. Thank you, everyone. Also that morning, the FBI announced that they had brought in a Quantico profiler to create a profile of Kyron to try to help in finding him. That Sunday consisted of 50 detectives interviewing students and their parents who were at the school on Friday, and Kyron's relatives began distributing missing persons flyers that had his photo and description on them. And his parents, so his dad and stepmom and his mom and stepdad, all appeared in news conferences speaking, saying, we just want Kyron to come home. At 3.30 p.m. on Sunday, the Portland Public School Superintendent Carol Smith spoke at a news conference to discuss the steps that the district was taking to address any security concerns in wake of Kyron's disappearance because, you know, this kid had disappeared from school. Right. So she spoken news conference of like this is how we're gonna address security concerns this is like the increased security we're gonna have etc and then by sunday night the sheriff actually escalated kyron's disappearance to a missing endangered child but still not calling it a kidnapping or having any criminal um investigation like it wasn't a criminal investigation still over the next week kids returned to school and searches around the area continued On Wednesday, June 9th, the Horman family released a statement through the sheriff's office during a news briefing, and this statement said, quote, Kyron's family would like to thank people for support and interest in finding their son. The outpouring of support and continued effort strengthens their hope. We need for folks to continue to assist us in our goal. Please search your properties, cars, outbuildings, sheds, etc., Also check with neighbors and friends who may be on vacation or may need assistance in searching. There are a lot of resources here to help you search, so please don't stop. It is obviously a difficult time, and they want to speak to the public so you can hear it from Kyron's family as they come together to share their message. Their objective is to keep the focus on Kyron and not about anything else. On Friday, June 11th, the search for Kyron was expanded from the area immediately surrounding the school to Savi Island, which is about six miles away from the school. The search continued there for the next few days until June 13th when the sheriff's office held a press conference. Up to this point, the search had spanned 10 days and had included over 1,300 searchers from Oregon, Washington, and California. In that press conference on June 13th, with Kyron's mom, dad, stepmom, and stepdad all standing behind him wearing t-shirts with Kyron's missing poster on them, the sheriff announced that the massive search for Kyron had ended and that the case was shifting to a criminal investigation. The sheriff also announced that they were looking for any video footage of traffic on several roads around Skyline Elementary for any clues. On Monday, June 14th, the sheriff's office sent divers to Savi Island, and that day they could be seen searching in the waist-high water off the banks of the channel and the north side, or north of the Savi Island Bridge. That bridge and this area of the island had been previously searched, but the dive team was now searching in the water. 
They didn't find anything, and the next day, a dive team was also on a property near the Horman home searching a pond, but a spokeswoman for the sheriff's office said that that search was just routine. Also on June 15th, which happened to be the last day of the school year, the sheriff released a photo of a pair of glasses like the ones that Kyron had been wearing when he was last seen, and it's unclear if these had been found or if they were just like trying to say these are the the glasses that he had Mm -hmm. but that afternoon they also released a computer edited version of Chiron without his glasses on so they literally you know they had a photo from that morning of him at the science fair and that's what had been circulating and they edited that to take his glasses off in case he was missing glasses yeah, which leads me to think the glasses that they had might have been his, actually. Exactly. That's what I was thinking, too. That same day, 30 billboards went up throughout the Portland metro area, and that evening, a vigil was held for Kyron. Mm-hmm. The search and investigation continued on throughout June with no real movement. At one point, there were rumors that Kyron's body had been found, but the sheriff's office quickly dispelled those. They also released a, fi- a flyer that had photos of not only Kyron, but of his stepmom, Terry, and a pickup truck similar to Terry's. So the people were like, why are you releasing these photos? But the police captain came out and said the family had approved this flyer. It doesn't mean anything. But this led suspicion to start to circle around Terry Moulton Horman being involved in Kyron's disappearance. On Saturday, June 26th, two 911 calls were made from the Horman residence. The first was at 5.17 p.m. and was classified as a threat call. Mm. A sheriff's deputy responded, but nothing came of it. The second call came in at 11.39 p.m. and this was classified as a custody issue. Okay. So we'll talk about that. That'll come up in a minute. So it was... after that revealed that on that day june 26th kane horman had moved out of the home that he shared with terry taking his 19 month old daughter kiara with him what then by monday june 28th kane had filed for divorce what so this is just 24 days after kyron went missing okay that that's suspicious like Mm -hmm. and alarming yep So Terry, after that, claimed to the Oregonian, which is a news publication in the area, that her husband and daughter had not moved out, saying, quote, everything's good. We heard that rumor. It's just a rumor that needs to be squelched. Everything's fine. And she said this while giving a thumbs up to the reporter. Okay. So were the reports of him moving out and then getting a divorce, were they, like, confirmed? Or was it really just hearsay? Okay. Nope, that was not the case. She was lying. Kane had moved out and had filed for divorce. Damn. Eventually, later, the divorce was granted, and Terry was uh, given supervised visits with Kiara. Okay, what is this bitch doing? Because as a mom, like, yeah. just by default, you normally get custody of the child unless you relinquish your rights. And you, and if you do relinquish, relinquish your rights... I'm pretty sure you can still have visitation without it being supervised unless you have, like, you know, drug issues or other issues that would warrant that. I don't know. I'm I'm speculating yeah. here, but damn. And you'll kind of, we'll kind of find out a little bit. But, okay. Um, but, yeah. So, on June 28th, the evening of June 28th, the sheriff's office released 
a statement. This was after it came out that Kane had moved out. He was filing for divorce. And this statement came from Kane, Desiree, and Desiree's husband, Tony. And it said that they were all cooperating with the investigation. Terry's name was left out of that. I see that. It was that Kane Horman, Desiree Young, and Tony Young were cooperating. And that's it. Okay. So she's potentially withholding information, and maybe that's what led to his peace out, Cub Scout. Yep. Exactly. Damn. The hell. Well, I'm starting to hate her already. I know. Yeah. I don't she's, like where this is people going. I don't like her. Okay. Shortly after this statement came out, media outlets in Portland were tipped off that Terry Horman had been actually served with a restraining order and a petition for dissolution of marriage. Oh my gosh. In the the you know request for divorce, Kane Horman had cited irreconcilable differences. Because you have to, you know, give some list of cause yeah. why you want a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. The restraining order filed against Terry allowed no parenting time for her, and Kane was seeking full custody of their daughter. On what grounds? <laughs> I need to know. We don't really know at okay. this point. Yeah. This order was actually sealed soon after at the request of Kane, so we don't really know much more. Okay. Also around this time, it was revealed that Terry had failed two separate polygraph tests in relation to Kyron's disappearance, which we know polygraph tests don't mean much, but I wanted to mention it. They can be telling, though. They can be telling. (laughs) Yeah. On Sunday, July 4th, one month after Kyron disappeared, a huge revelation came out. A reporter with the Oregonian named Maxine Bernstein reported that a landscaper who had worked for Kyron's family had told authorities that Terry had offered to pay him to kill her husband. (gasps) No. Rodolfo Sanchez had worked at the family's home, and he reportedly told investigators, quote, Terry had offered him a lot of money to kill her husband. So he testified in a deposition that in January 2010, about six months earlier, Terry had approached him to help her kill her husband that is horrifying yeah of course terry denied the charge but investigators actually had sanchez try to confront terry while he was like mic'd up but they weren't able to get any evidence and were not able to arrest terry gosh on july 12th terry hired a well terry hired this attorney earlier but she had hired a criminal defense attorney named stephen howes and on july 12th he notified the court that Terry would not consent to Kane's restraining order. What? Like, uh, yeah, she was like, "I'm, I'm not going to accept it." I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> I think it was the type of restraining order that was like filed, um, okay. and he didn't probably didn't have full grounds to like get a yeah. proper. You know, I don't know exactly, but I think that that was the case. Okay. Four days later, though, she agreed to vacate the home that she was living in with, you know, her ex-husband. And she left Portland for Roseburg, where her parents lived. And after this, the pressure around Terry's involvement in Kyron's disappearance kind of intensified. Yeah. On July 24th, 
21st, that same reporter wrote that law enforcement officials had been putting pressure on a small circle of Terry's friends. So this included a woman named Dee Dee Spitcher. Investigators had searched her condominium the week before this article came out, and they had interviewed people who saw Dee Dee on June 4th, the day that Kyron disappeared. So that day, she was seen doing gardening work at a home in Portland. But apparently, at 11.30 a.m., before finishing the work, like she wasn't done for the day, she abruptly left, and then she returned about 90 minutes later. If you are covering for your friend who potent- who killed your her stepchild, you are just as horrible as she is. Not that that's what necessarily happened, but... <laughs> Yeah. So apparently Dee Dee had not been present when somebody else who was working at that same house that day called her to go in for lunch. And she also hadn't answered the phone when the homeowner called her. Like the homeowner called her cell phone and she didn't answer. So very suspicious. Yeah. Dee Dee also allegedly, and I couldn't find this fully confirmed anywhere, but some sources say that she had helped Terry purchase an untraceable cell phone. <laughs> Andrea's, like, shaking just, her head, just like, oh my god. I'm just like, I just, I'm appalled that that someone could do this to a child. Yeah. Like, if it was her husband, no offense, but I could maybe see that, you know, your friend helping yeah. you with that, like some goodbye Earl kind of vibes, but right. a child... A defenseless seven-year-old child? No. Yep. According to law enforcement, though, Dee Dee was cooperative. They said she sat for a three-hour interview, and she allowed them to search her property and car, and nothing was found. Yeah. And then a grand jury proceeding began. So Dee Dee Spitcher was called to, or she was subpoenaed, and she appeared in front of the grand jury on July 26th. Several other friends of Terry's and other witnesses, including the Skyline Elementary School principal, also appeared before the grand jury in early August. On August 2nd, Kane Horman and Desiree and Tony Young testified. And, you know, if you don't know grand jury hearings, you don't really hear a lot about them, especially if no charges are ever brought forward. So we don't particularly know what came of that but i will tell you from now i mean obviously this is still unsolved and no charges have ever been brought forward by august 7th a ground search for Kyron restarted but this one was taking place in a 2.2 mile loop on old germantown road this was near the home that Dee Dee was gardening at that day but again they found nothing right On Tuesday, August 10th, several emails sent by Terry regarding Kyron's disappearance were obtained by some media outlets. These emails were written the day after Kyron disappeared. They detailed Terry's schedule the day before, so saying, you know, that whole account of saying what she did. In one, she also wrote about Kyron's recent behavior, saying that he had been acting really weird the two weeks before he disappeared, including him staring off into space being unable to remember anything, like walking into rooms and then turning around and walking out and not getting anything. Like she just said that he was acting really weird. And she said that their doctor thought that Kyron was possibly having mini seizures and they had set up an appointment for the next week to be checked out. My goddaughter has that. Oh, really? She'll just like 
Yeah, she'll just like blank out right in the middle of whatever happening and won't remember anything. That's so scary. So that's what they thought was possibly happening. And actually, the day before Kyron disappeared, they had set up an appointment for the next week. Oh, okay. Aww. Another email was obtained from Terry that was written to Kane on June 26th, the day he left with Kiara. And it said, quote, Okay, I love you, but this is ridiculous. What you are doing is parental child abduction and is illegal. I need to know where my daughter is and if she is safe. And in this email, she also said that she was going to call the police, which I think was that second call that I talked about that happened over custodial, whatever they called it, custodial problems. Okay. Regarding these emails, Kyron's mom, Desiree, said, quote, she blames a lot of the marital problems between Kane and herself on Kyron. It was Hmm. a huge point of contention in their marriage, and she has expressed in great detail her hatred for Kyron. I now believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that not only is she capable of hurting Kyron, that it's clear that she could have hurt him in the worst way possible. No. I know. How about you just leave your husband? Yeah. There's a thought. I think she still liked the, like, she still liked Kane. Yeah, but. they had their other daughter and she you marry the whole package like when yep. i married my husband i knew that he had a child and yeah i was okay with that and it hasn't always been easy i will say that but i would never i knew what i was getting into you know i knew that there was yeah. like some other side of the family stuff and <laughs> won't yeah. go into all that but you know you you marry the whole package you can't pick and choose yeah. and you certainly don't eliminate that problem that's awful yeah exactly no it's so fucked okay so after this investigators revealed that they were now asking for the public's help of any sightings of the horman family truck on the day that kyron disappeared so they said if anybody saw this truck that terry was driving Mm -hmm. let us know on august 17th over two months after kyron disappeared Dee Dee Spitcher told People Magazine that she did not leave the 38-acre nursery that she was working on on the day that Kyron disappeared. So she said, no, I was there the whole time. But that's contrary to what the homeowner and the other person working on the property that day said. They said, no, she left. Right. And around this time, it became clear that Kane and Desiree believed that Terry was involved in their son's disappearance. They spoke with one reporter for a story in the Oregonian where they talked about how Terry's behavior had begun to change around 2005. So they described her as being kind of like up and down, being caring but controlling, being a little bit demanding, and being short-tempered. And then in November, Desiree spoke on the Today Show and she straight up on the show accused Terry of having a, quote, severe hatred of Kyron. That is so awful. That literally breaks my heart. I know. He was seven. Seven. Not a teenager. He's just a baby. Yeah. Like, I could, t- I mean, I could see you saying that kind of stuff about a teenager. It's still wrong. It's still incredibly messed up. But, again, coming from someone who is a stepmother, like... I cannot imagine saying that about my seven-year-old stepson. Like, Right? That is no horrifying. Yeah, it's really messed up. 
On September 9th, 2010, three months after Kyron disappeared, his parents celebrated his eighth birthday with chocolate cake and music. Stop. Stop. I know. Over the next few months, several searches happened here and there, including once again on Savi Island. And then in January 2011, the search on Savi Island actually was shifted to be in a forested hilly area. And this was after they, quote, had new and very specific reasons for searching there. So they wouldn't reveal what it was, but they had some reason for searching there. And they brought in 50 searchers and seven cadaver dogs. Oh, my gosh. Wow. They searched several private properties, most of which were logging land, but nothing was found. In June 2011, Terry filed a petition to change her name to Claire Stella Sullivan. She stated that she wanted to avoid the stigma of the Horman name. But in August, the judge denied her request, citing the ongoing criminal investigation. She's the stigma of the Horman name. Exactly. Like, what the fuck? And after this, she tried to change her name again, and it was denied again. Like, she tried to do it in a different She's a crazy person. She's just a crazy person. Like, this could have been avoided, probably, if it was not for your shenanigans. I don't know. Alleged. (laughs) It was also reported that in the name change hearing, Terry spoke publicly about Kyron for the first time since, like, when he disappeared. Mm -hmm. And he apparently, or she apparently said, quote, he needs to be found. I love my son. I want him more. I want him home more than anything. So why haven't you been talking about him? I mean... Maybe that's true. Maybe she's, you know, coping with the loss or, you know, mm-hmm. the the trauma of it in her own way. That's a great point. But just the the problem that I have with it and the reason why I'm being so, like, snarky about her is because of the actions of the 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 dad, first of all, and just, yeah. like, the whole restraining order thing. Like, that is all very suspicious to me. Um, even if, you know, even if she didn't do it, like, I don't know. It just, it just looks very. He clearly had some sort yeah. of reason to believe that he did a negative light on her him. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And he has suspicions, obviously, I feel like. Yeah. And that's also why she was eventually only granted supervised visits because of all of this suspicion around her. Yeah. Of her own child, mind you. Yeah, Exactly. In 2012, Desiree Young filed a civil suit against Terry, claiming that she was responsible for Kyron's disappearance. So this lawsuit attempted to prove that Terry had kidnapped Kyron. She sought $10 million in damages. In October 2012, after this suit was filed, Dee Dee Spitcher was being deposed regarding the lawsuit, and she refused to answer any of the 142 questions (laughs) asked of her. What? So these questions included her whereabouts on the day Kyron disappeared and her contact with Terry that day. She also, and this is what I find the most interesting and damning, she declined to identify any photo of Kyron. She declined to say whether or not she had met him before or whether or not she had met Cain before. Why? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. If you're an innocent person... I mean, you don't have to, like, you have, as a, an American, you have the right to remain silent. But if you're a decent yeah. person and you care anything about Chiron, his 
dad, whoever, Terry even, if she's, you know, innocent. If she's innocent. You're going to be forthcoming with information, period. Exactly. Makes no sense. So despite all the depositions that were happening on July 30th, 2013, Desiree actually chose to drop the lawsuit Mm -hmm. against Terry because she didn't want to interfere with the ongoing police investigation. I get that. Despite ongoing searches and investigation over the next few years, no sign of Kyron was found. On the fifth anniversary of his disappearance, the sheriff's office once again publicized the ongoing $50,000 reward for any information leading to his discovery. Two years later, in 2017, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released an age-progressed photo of Kyron, showing him at 14 years old. And I'll post that on our Instagram as well so you can see that. On the ninth anniversary of his disappearance, Desiree announced that authorities had narrowed the search for Chiron to less than 100 acres of land. And on June 4th, 2020, the 10th anniversary of Chiron's disappearance, the MCSO Mike Reese, so the the sheriff Mm -hmm. Mike Reese, released a statement that said, quote, Kyron Horman's disappearance continues to have a profound impact on our community. We remain just as dedicated to this investigation as we did 10 years ago. In collaboration with our major crimes team's team partners, the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office and the FBI, we are pursuing all investigative leads and will continue to do so until Kyron is located. The case remains open and active. Mm -hmm. So despite a lot of suspicion around Terry, there has not been any real evidence produced to show her or anyone else's involvement in Kyron's disappearance. His family has basically said it seems like he like a vortex opened up and he just disappeared. Got sucked in, yeah. There is still a $50,000 reward for any information leading to finding him. And even though it's been 12 years... It doesn't mean that there will never be answers. Right. There's a Facebook group called Missing Kyron Horman where any updates are shared. Mm -hmm. So anytime there are updates, they share them on there. There's also a GoFundMe to help the family continue to finance or, you know, afford searches and ongoing investigation expenses. And I will link both of those in the show notes for this episode so you guys can go follow the Facebook group, donate to the GoFundMe if you can, or even just share it. In February 2022, Desiree launched an effort to get the attention of the Multnomah County DA. So she wants them to get a new task force together to once again look into Kyron's disappearance. Like she wants a new task force assembled. You know, let's get some movement. Let's restart the attention to this. And let's, instead of just following up on any new leads, let's try to pursue new leads. Be proactive. Yeah. Exactly. She said that she has been trying to meet with DA Mike Schmidt for over a year, saying, quote, I want the DA to know who I am and know who Kyron is. I want him to make Kyron a priority again. Mm-hmm. Any information related to Kyron's disappearance can be reported by calling the MCSO tip line at 503-988-0560. And I will also be putting that in the show notes. Please help us share it. Or if you happen to be listening to this and you might know something... That's how you can call any tips in. But that is the story of the disappearance of Kyron Horman. And it is just so heartbreaking and so frustrating because it seems like somebody has to know something, but they just can't prove anything. I know. And my heart, like, seriously breaks for his mom because, I mean, 
just the whole time you were telling that. And like, even when I first um, heard about it, when someone sent us a DM on Instagram, I just remember thinking like, you know, putting myself in her position and, and how I would feel and like what I would do. And I mean, you won't stop until your child is found, whether, you know, it's alive or unfortunately deceased. And I think that she is entitled to have them reopen or not reopen, but, you know, put more attention on the case and have a new task force, you know, brought in and, and, and start reinvestigating because fresh eyes, you know, fresh ears, all that stuff. I mean, those are when cases get solved and somebody does know something and, you know, I don't, I don't know how you could keep a secret like that. I really don't. No, I don't either. And I mean, she came out and said that just a couple months ago that she was like, I want more attention. So just because it feels like it's been so long and it feels like there's nothing we can do, sharing this story and getting it out there and spreading awareness can be so helpful. And we've seen this over and over again where just talking about things can put pressure on police departments. So if this starts, his case starts going viral again, the police are going to be pressured to... look into it start a new task force etc so that's one of the reasons i wanted to share it today and also just get kyron's story out there and you never know who might know something so if you guys listening can please 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 help spread awareness about this case by sharing his missing poster his picture which i'll post on our instagram and our facebook so and he's precious <laughs> he is precious and if you can just take a couple of seconds and even just share it to your story because you never know who might see it and yeah. who might know something but that's all i have for you guys today i hope that you can join me in saying kyron's name and getting his story out there but that's all i got we will see you on thursday with another new episode and until then keep it human bye bye